This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello and welcome to E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Today we're talking oil and gas reserve-based lending trends with David Morris. He's a managing director at Opportune. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to dive into this topic because this is an area that you have a lot of expertise. And David, we've seen a lot of factors contribute to um, what's been going on in the oil and gas industries uh, over the course of 2020. But from your perspective, what factors have played a role in the bankruptcies we've seen throughout the industry starting earlier on in 2020? Um, Yeah. So when I think about that, uh, when I reflect upon it, the first things that come to mind for me are too much debt too little hedging, price shocks, and demand uh, depression, demand destruction. Uh, I think those are, those are certainly four factors that have been at play this year. Um, we've seen, we knew going into this year that uh, there were a lot of BNP companies that still had too much debt. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of bond uh, maturities uh, coming up in the EMP patch. Uh, a lot of companies had been under hedge uh, or had, had not hedged their commodity price risk at all going into 2020. And then in early March, we saw the, uh, we, we experienced the Saudi-Russia oil price war um, and that, that shocked everyone. And, and for the companies that had too much debt and little to no hedging in place, that was, uh, that, that was just catastrophic for a lot of them. Um, and then you had to add insult to injury, then we had the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic break out and, and saw significant global demand destruction for, for oil and gas. So uh, it's kind of the perfect storm um, for, for EMP companies to, uh, to experience significant financial distress. Um, so you know, there, were, there were quite a few, uh, there have been quite a few year to date, I believe, uh, 25 to 30, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the one that stands out for me, really, the first one that stands out for me was Whiting Petroleum, which filed on uh, April 1st. Um, they had, they were uh, heavily exposed to oil prices, um, had, had um, some commodity hedges in place uh, to uh, mitigate oil price volatility. Um, but considering the amount of junior debt they had on their balance sheet, uh, uh, it, they were uh, underhedged, very underhedged. Um, so uh, they, they filed bankruptcy. Uh, incidentally, that was the same day, uh, April 1st was the same day that their convertible notes um, were scheduled to mature. So um, that, that certainly played a factor in the decision. Um, so since then, uh, we've seen some other big ones, Chesapeake, uh, Sable. Um, we, more recently, we saw uh, Extraction, Oasis, a few other companies filed. So um, it's, it's still continuing. Uh, $40 oil certainly doesn't help. 
Right, right. And like, like you mentioned, there were so many factors that all contributed to that, you know, COVID-19 being the, the one that maybe a, a lot of people talk about, but the Saudi-Russia uh, conflict as well playing a, a role in that. And, you know, how did that rapid decline in oil prices in March and April really reinforce the importance of disciplined business practices, uh, amongst other things? You mentioned hedging, th- things along those lines. How was that reinforced by the drop in oil prices there in March and April? It, it, um, well, you hit the nail on the head. It, it certainly highlighted the importance of hedging the commodity price risk. Um, um, in addition to that, I'd say it, um, maintaining ample liquidity under an RBL credit facility and proactively managing uh, debt maturities um, were other, you know, were other important business practices that were uh, highlighted or underscored by the by the, the events of March um, and the price shock we saw, the global demand shock we saw also. Um, earlier this year in the spring barring based redetermination season, we saw many RBO credit facilities reduce more than 15%, 15, 20% or, or even more in some cases. Um, so uh, if, you, if you think about it, if you consider a company that has uh, has 80% or more of its uh, of its RBO utilized going into uh, that kind of a redetermination season, a 15% plus decrease uh, to its borrowing base can severely impact the business and uh, and possibly lead to uh, lead the company to file for bankruptcy. Um, I, the importance of consistently hedging portion of one's forecast of production uh, for the next, say, 12 to 24 months just, just can't be overemphasized. I think many companies, many EMP companies hedge from time to time, uh, but few uh, do so on a regular basis as part of their business strategy. Um, and, and if they have a material amount of debt in the capital structure or heavily utilized RBL credit facility or both, uh, then the lack of meaningful hedge support, at least in the near term, can, can lead to severe financial distress very quickly. I, so I think in the future, we'll see minimum hedging requirements in many RBL credit agreements. Uh, indeed, we've already, we've already seen those kinds of requirements in most, if not all, of the exit financings for EMP companies that emerge from bankruptcy uh, year to date. Right, right. So uh, with with appetite for operational realignment and cost reduction at the forefront, will we see more RBL lenders uh, potentially partnering to own or operate uh, ENP assets? And if so, why, why or why not? Why do you think that? It's a good question. It's one that comes up uh, regularly uh, these days. I don't expect to see a lot of that activity in this downturn uh, because banks remain very reluctant to own oil and gas companies. Uh, so I, I just, I just, for that reason alone, I just don't expect to see it uh, to a significant degree. Although banks have signaled in this downturn that they will not, that they will not give collateral away or sell it at, at um, you know, extreme unwarranted discounts. I, I still think their bias uh, will always be to restructure without taking ownership, even a minority stake. Um, so, you know, I think that's uh, that said. Uh, we have seen a few cases where banks have have uh, credit bid 
uh, to take ownership, presumably because they were unwilling to sell at the depressed prices that were offered for those assets. Um, one, recent, uh, one recent example that comes to mind for me would be Sable. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's a, a notable example um, mm -hmm. where, where a large lender, J.P. Morgan in that case, uh, elected to credit bid. Um, so uh, that's, that's certainly how I would see it. So how would you describe the, the general sentiment among banks with exposure to oil and gas? Could, could today's market environment permanently alter the risk and reward metrics for bank RBL programs? So uh, permanently, no. Um, there's, I, I'm, uh, I, would, I would strongly hesitate to uh, make predictions about permanent changes. Uh, so I would say no, no to permanent changes. But I do expect the bank market to change dramatically um, uh, in the wake of this downturn. Indeed, it already has um, with many regional banks, uh, small and small regional banks retrenching or exiting the business uh, completely. Uh, we've even seen some of the larger regional banks uh, retrench. Um, you know, there's there's a you know I, there are either credit specific issues that may lead to those decisions, but then there are also um, uh, strategic decisions made at a much higher level in those banks that they want to reduce their energy exposure. Uh, so so we're certainly seeing a, a contraction in the number of lenders that are participating or, or operating in the in the RBO. Uh, financing business. Um, and I think that trend will continue uh, for the next several years, uh, absent uh, dramatic uh, turnaround in, in oil and gas price dynamics. Um, beyond that, uh, so, so let's, uh, let's say that trend does continue. I think there's a growing view among the banks that remain committed to the RBL business uh, that um, that with the shrinking universe of active lenders, uh, those that do remain in the business will will be uh, will will be expected or will will need to have uh, higher holds uh, in in um, smaller uh, revolving credit facilities or even higher holds in in uh, you know in, in large credit facilities as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. On the on the loan sizing side, uh, I think that banks will uh, will be more conservative uh, for quite a while. Uh, there again, I would not say uh, I would not expect to see permanent changes, um, but I, I do think that um, with the significant losses we've seen banks take in some uh, oil and gas restructurings uh, during this downturn, um, they, will, they will make long-term changes to their, their methodologies for sizing these borrowing-based facilities um, to, you know, to, to prevent those kinds, of, uh, those kinds of losses in the near, near medium-term future. Uh, some examples of methodology changes that, uh, that I think we'll see uh, in the wake of this downturn, our greater emphasis 
on PDP value coverage of borrowing bases. Um, it, that's it, we've certainly um, heard from banks uh, that they're being more critical about the uh, the loan. Uh, the loan value attributed to non-producing reserves, particularly the approved undeveloped reserves. Um, over the last 10 years, uh, banks became comfortable with lending on a greater portion of those reserves. But uh, with this uh, oil price shock and, and the, uh, the outcomes of recent uh, um, bankruptcy sales of oil and gas assets, uh, they've recognized that uh, there's been very little, little value uh, attributed in those in those auctions to uh, undeveloped reserves. So they've adjusted their methodologies accordingly. Uh, I think they'll also be more disciplined about uh, about evaluating uh, borrowers to ensure that they have uh, adequate liquidity. Uh, to support the development plans uh, that they have for their uh, for their collateral properties, uh, they'll also be insistent upon uh, a minimum level of commodity hedging. In many cases, I think that's something we've already touched upon, um, and just and and in general, an expectation of lower leverage, uh, you know, less reliance on debt financing for for uh, growth plans. So, David, this might tie into to your previous answer, uh, but but will we see more banks sell their RBL portfolios like Hancock Whitney did? And if so, how will a, a lack of RBLs create financial de- uh, deficiencies for leveraged EMPs to pay down debt? Um, good questions. Uh, so, uh, I was asked this question back in the summer uh, after Hancock Whitney, uh, after the sale of Hancock Whitney's portfolio was announced. Um, I still think that those that that those kinds of transactions will be rare. Uh, I have heard recently of another bank that was uh, that was considering selling its its energy loan portfolio, um, but it I have not have not verified that with other sources. Uh, you know, more commonly, I hear of banks um, being willing to sell you know, specific loans. Um, it's just uh, it's it's very rare for them to. We've we've only seen seen a few transactions uh, over the last several years where banks have just uh, sold their entire portfolios. Uh, I think there's the the BNP. Um, uh, energy loan portfolio that was sold to to Wells Fargo several years ago, and then uh, and, and then just a few years ago, I believe Deutsche Bank uh, sold most of its energy loan book uh, to BMO, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but these um, these negotiated transactions, uh, like the one that Hancock Whitney closed over the summer, I think those will still be uh, very rare. So, David, we'll wrap up here with the, with this question. What will fall BB uh, redetermination look like for EMPs? And will we see a pullback in RBLs? And, uh, you know, just kind of explain your rationale uh, for your answer to those questions. So, I still expect the fall redetermination season 
to uh, to be challenging for um, most EMP companies, uh, even though oil prices and, and gas prices um, have have uh, rebounded. Uh, gas prices have actually rallied significantly, so maybe I should revise that prediction. Uh, the gassy companies, uh, I, I think, are going to be, you know, most of the gassy companies, unless they're overlevered, um, uh, will will do fine this uh, during this fall redetermination season. But for the oil companies that are in in focus for many of uh, many investors and market participants. Uh, I think it'll still be a challenging redetermination season for them, and uh, uh, because we have, although we have uh, you know, relatively stable oil prices in the forty-dollar range, uh, we have seen many of those EMP companies, the vast majority of them, um, sharply curtailed their drilling and completion plans uh, early, much earlier this year. Uh, after the uh, Saudi-Russia oil price war uh, shock. Uh, many of them actually suspended drilling and completions altogether uh, to conserve liquidity. Um, and, and so going into this fall redetermination season, while we do have higher oil prices than, than, uh, than uh, uh, existed, uh, than prevailed in the spring redetermination season, those, those uh, same companies are now um, have, have now endured several months of natural production decline on their on their then existing and current existing PDP uh, reserves. Uh, so the reserves are smaller, uh, prices are are better, but I think the uh, I think you know with the price outlook, uh, what it is in the, in the uh, the near term, uh, it seems it, it seems hard to believe for me that we'll see. Uh, um, more borrowing bases maintained or increased uh, in this fall redetermination season, or said differently, I still expect many of those uh, oily companies to report uh, decreases of their borrowing bases, uh, and and to the extent that their um, you know that their utilization has crept up significantly as a result of the uh, a cut in the spring. Uh, the fall, the fall redetermination uh, is, you know, is uh, potentially a catalyst for, you know, for distress for, you know, another, another small wave of distress, perhaps. Um, all that being said, there are many companies out there that have, um, that have wisely used this time uh, over the last few months to cut costs. Um, and uh, you know, and, and become much more efficient operators. We saw that in the 2014 to 2016 downturn as well. Uh, so th those cost reductions, some some are transitory, some are the, some can be permanent. Um, whatever the case, though, they can be very meaningful offsets to uh, to lower price decks and uh, and production decline. Well, David Morris, Managing Director at Opportune. David, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today about oil and gas reserve-based lending trends here on E2B Energy to Business. Thank you. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode of E2B Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. Of course, make sure to check out Opportune's website and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to stay up to date with thought leadership from Opportune on all things oil and gas. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.